Yes! Air horns! The Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth. The Kansas City Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. Welcome into the podcast, the Chiefs Zone Podcast. My name is Farzing Nasugian. Zach Segna and DJ Evans here with me as well. And we are here to discuss the Kansas City Chiefs crowned AFC champions. And they will play the San Francisco 49ers in just a little over a week. Going to be a lot of fun to watch that game. Very exciting, of course, to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. And all the years we've done this podcast, we've done it for 11 of the last 13 seasons. We've never done a Super Bowl before, and now we finally get to do one on the last time that you'll be we'll, we'll be having this podcast. Uh, Facebook.com slash Farzin. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Facebook.com slash <laughs> Farzin Vesugian. That is the Facebook page. Give it a like and follow me on Facebook. A lot of great interactions, obviously, as expected. So I appreciate all of you guys who have been a part of that. Follow me on Twitter at Farzin21. You just heard DJ and Zach. You guys can follow them on Twitter as well. Zach is at Z Stegna and DJ is at Chiefs Fan Chai. And you guys can also text in 913-808-2119, obviously. A lot of text messages as well following the victory in the AFC Championship game. We'll recap the game between the Chiefs and Titans, talk about the Chiefs being crowned AFC champions, and really just a historic moment. Look, a lot of teams have won conference championships, but this one is a historic one because that... AFC Championship Trophy is called the Lamar Hunt Trophy, and his son, for the first time ever, lifted that trophy up. We'll talk about that. Also, would you rather watch the Super Bowl from home, or would you rather be there? And is it worth spending all that money for Super Bowl tickets? Also, the NFL Draft is taking place in Las Vegas. Where in Las Vegas? It might really surprise you. And also, just an insane turn of events that happened at Allen Fieldhouse in the Sunflower Showdown between Kansas and Kansas State. Talking about all of that on this episode. As I mentioned, DJ and Zach are here with me. Gentlemen, AFC champions. How does that feel? Man, I I know I've said this, you know, on a couple of prior occasions, but so far it still hasn't sunk in. Like, it still doesn't feel real. Uh, The fact that, you know, this is the first time in my life, and realistically, like as I was talking to my folks the other night after the game, uh, I realized it's also been the first time in my mom's life that the Chiefs have been going to the Super Bowl, uh, and the you know so many years of you know playoff heartbreaks that it just it doesn't feel real at all. Yeah, I it, for me it was uh, especially being there in person. Um, it, it didn't feel real being at the in that stadium and I started to think about as you know they were especially after Sammy Watkins touchdown but um, more importantly after uh, Frank Clark's sack of Tannehill to seal the game I started thinking about all of the playoff misery that I went through like 95 97 where we had uh, teams that were just good enough to get their number one seed but didn't have the quarterback to get us over the top. And then 03 where we had a team that was good enough to get a bye week but had no defense whatsoever. Um it's just been it's a it's a whirlwind and you know being a fan of the team for 27 years it it, it I I'm with you guys. I, I I'm still in shock and uh it probably won't officially hit me until next week when they're talking about the Chiefs every day and them being in the Super Bowl. 
You know, when that, when that, you mentioned the Frank Clark sack, because that was essentially the game winning play right there. When that happened, I was like, wait a minute, that was a sack. And that was a sack on fourth down. And on fourth down, if you don't convert, it's a turnover on down. So does this mean we we're, we're going to the Super Bowl? Like, I had that feeling in my head. I'm like, hold on a second. This is. Like we just we just like got the sack to go to the Super Bowl. Like that took a moment for that to register in my head. I don't know if, if you guys felt that way in that moment, but that sack took me like a a good minute. Uh, I'm like, okay, we are like this is happening, I guess. And still, it's been surreal for me. And we'll get to the game in a moment. But but let's be honest, man. The storyline is that this team is going to the Super Bowl. Like it's been so hard for me to accept this as a Chiefs fan. The moment that it felt real to me. And I don't know if you guys saw this on uh, Chiefs' uh, Twitter accounts, uh, on or uh, Facebook and on Twitter. The Chiefs posted videos of Patrick Mahomes and Tyron Matthew uh, filming their promos uh, for the Super Bowl. And they're wearing the red jersey with the Super Bowl logo on it. And I'm like, okay, now I know it's real. Like, I see that logo on my team's jersey like, let's go. Let's and go. Like, now you know that your team's going to a Super Bowl because they have the freaking Super Bowl patch on the jersey. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's It's still crazy to think. It's all all of these things. Like, I mean, it registers, obviously. It's, you know, yeah, we're going to the Super Bowl for the first time in my life. But, again, it just feels like, you know, it's all kind of a, a dream in some ways where, you know, it's just like, okay, I'm going to wake up eventually. Or, you know, like, again, you know, I feel like as a Chiefs fan, when you, like, have never seen something like this happen, you kind of forget that it can. Uh, and that that's kind of where I've been, where it's just like, I mean, it's going to... Uh, I mean, I remember watching, you know, that sack there with my roommates, um, and they were all like, dude, how are you not just, like, going crazy and hyped about this? I was like, man, it... I, I mean, like, yeah, it registered, but it it, it didn't at the same time. So you very, you were like me. Yeah, I mean, it was very you, much just yeah. like not not like shell shocked quite, but just like you know, kind of just coming to terms with the moment, be like, holy crap, we actually did it for the first time it, ever. Like we've always talked about it, and and now it's actually here. And then it's just you know, you don't think of you know how that moment's gonna feel. And in a weird way, it kind of doesn't feel at all. Like, it was very much, like, almost a weird kind of, you know, numb in a weird kind of way. Uh, but, like, in in the greatest kind of way at the same time. Like, you know, the satisfaction of knowing, like, yes, we've, we're doing this. Um, though, to be honest, I'm also very much in the camp of, like, yes, great. We're doing this. We're going to the Super Bowl. Now let's go win the damn thing. Right. I mean, I, <clears throat> I've i trained myself because of the past playoff fa- failures to kind of as soon as we're down, like, you know, both games. I, I know I was on last week's podcast, but when we were down 21 to nothing, my wife and I went, um, we left our seats and went to, my wife wanted to actually leave the game. I'm like, we're not leaving in the first quarter. That's not happening. <laughs> but we went to like, a, we went to the Bud Light bar and hung out there until the end of the first half because nobody was leaving that because we all thought we would mess up the mojo. But uh, when it was 10 nothing, I left my seat again. A, because I was like, oh, no, it's happening again. And B, because I thought, oh, maybe there was some lucky mojo going on there, so I'm going to go there. And it actually did turn around, so maybe there is magic there. But it's hard to it's hard to get out of that mindset of, 
oh, it's just going to happen to us again, or we're going to we're going to lose. That's that's the way it ha- that's the way it is for us. This is a new era of players. They don't care about what happened in the '90s and the two like the early 2000s. They they don't have that mindset. They didn't live through it. So uh, for people that have been watching the you know the Chiefs for as long as I have, or even longer than me, uh, probably twice as long as me, you know, it does take a little bit of time. Um, you know, now us being in the Super Bowl, seeing that patch on the jersey, I. Uh, I don't think I'll ever leave my seat again. I, I, I there's there's just something about this team. There's something about that quarterback that makes you think that it doesn't matter what the odds are, what the score is, we're going to come back. Do you guys have any of the uh, AFC Championship gear yet? Ordered it. <laughs> Spent a lot of money. Zach, Zach, how about you? No, I, I am very much in the camp of man. I really hope I never have to have that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm excited about it, but at the same time, I'm like, nah. I'm holding out for Super Bowl stuff. See, that's how I always am. And let me say this. As a KU fan, and Zach, you can attest to this as well, there are dozens of Kansas Jayhawks Big 12 Champions shirts. And, you know, it's like I don't buy conference or division shirts ever. Like, all these, like, AFC West shirts, like, oh, the West is not enough, or any year we've won the AFC West. Like, I don't want that shirt. It's just a division. Like, that means nothing to me. The only Big 12 shirt I got was the one that was 10 years. Because, number one, it's 10 years. That's kind of a significant milestone. 10 straight years, that is. Number two, that was my last year at KU. So it's like, you know, it was like a special piece of my final year at KU that I wanted to keep with me forever. Um, So that's the only exception. Now, I know, like, in college sports, they'll have, like... um, Elite 8 shirts and Sweet 16 shirts. It's like, who the hell buys those? Final 4 shirts? I can understand, because Final 4, even though that's not the championship, the Final 4 is like a very significant moment in college basketball. But here's my thing. Um, When the Royals made it to the World Series, I was like, no, I'm not going to buy any of the American League gear. I'll wait for the World Series, and if they win it, I'll buy the World Series gear. If not, then I'll get the American League championship gear. But here's the thing. Therese Paler said this on Twitter, and he said, Chiefs fans that are going to Miami, two pieces of advice for you. One of them was to check out, like, some uh, Super Bowl party, but his first piece of advice was buy the merch because they're making a lot of it now. I know a lot of stores are sold out and online they're sold out, but they'll make them again. They're going to make them a, a lot of them, but in two months from now, they're not going to make any more of these. Like, what? Like if you have a Super Bowl shirt or the Super Bowl jersey, that's never coming out ever again. Now, sure, if the Chiefs go back, there's going to be a, another Super Bowl jersey and whatnot, but that's, I mean, this is specifically, like, like this is a 50-year occasion, unfortunately. Hopefully, that changes from here on out, but, uh, yeah, they're also a bit pricey. I mean, I got my hat, I got my hoodie, I got the jersey, I've got something else coming in the mail, I've also got a banner. I'll, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'll get a couple more if they win the Super Bowl, but... Uh, they don't make this stuff often, so get them while you can because they're not going to make them again. Does that make sense? No, yeah, it makes I mean, perfect I, I, sense. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, you're good, DJ. Go for it. No, what I was going to say is um, you know, a couple of things. One is it's the first time, right? You know, It's our first time winning this yeah. game, uh, particularly at home at Arrowhead. And so there's something nostalgic about that. And a lot of, funny enough, a couple of Patriots uh, friends I have on Twitter, they were like, buy it. You know, don't, don't, 
don't uh, just assume that, you know, you're always going to be there. Like you, you should relish in this moment. You only live once, like get the stuff. Like we got the stuff, uh, especially when like the first time we went to the, the Super Bowl. like you should, or at least in this decade or the last two decades, but you know, it's, it's different than a world series too, because one game decides whether you're going to move on each of these rounds. Right. So winning that game, even though, um, it doesn't mean you've won anything really, uh, but you kind of did. Just getting to that Super Bowl is a big, huge scene, um, especially when you haven't been there in 50 years. So uh, I really think that ultimately, probably after this year, I'm assuming we're going to be back. I think it would. I think you know it, it would be. It would shock me if we're not. Some crazy stuff would have to happen, but. You know, after this year, I probably won't get the AFC Championship stuff. But this year, for sure, like I got a jersey, I got a sweatshirt or a hoodie. Yeah, that I, I agree got, with. And I got the blue, yeah. and I got I get the blue hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like this year's AFC Championship stuff. Like that's a little special because you know it's it's the first time in fifty years. But you know, if the Chiefs become like the Patriots, which is a very difficult thing to do, but if they can replicate that kind of success here, it's like, you know. AFC Championship gear isn't really as special as Super Bowl gear, but this year you kind of have to make an exception for that. I'm kind of making an exception for that. Like I said, I'm against like division and conference uh, apparel, but when it's the first time in 50 years, man, you gotta you gotta keep that gear. You buy it and keep it. Um, and let's get right in. By the way, DJ, you mentioned how you know this is back-to-back years AFC Championship games, and obviously winning at home. If you include preseason games, which I know people aren't crazy about preseason games, but Let's just do it for a moment. If you include the preseason, regular season, and the postseason, for the second year in a row, the Chiefs have played 12 games at home uh, both years. Uh, again, that's pre, regular, and postseason. Um, the Chiefs have played 24 out of 24 possible games at Arrowhead in the last two years. Obviously, that's great business for the city. That's great business for the team. And... Obviously, when you're playing 24 games in two years, playing every game possible, unless you're also the Super Bowl host, which is which has never happened before, uh, I mean, fan interest is obviously going to skyrocket at that point. So it's really cool to see uh, 24 games at Arrowhead in two years. Uh, obviously, never happened before for the Chiefs, uh, and now it's happened back-to-back years. Let's talk about this game for a moment because, you know, you mentioned this, DJ, kind of like last week, although it wasn't as brutal, you are falling from behind. But similar to last week, you were trailing in this game by more than one possession and you you scored enough points just to get ahead right before halftime. That's exactly what happened last week against the Texans and that's what happened against the Titans in the defining moment. In this one was that Patrick Mahomes touchdown run from 27 yards uh, where, you know, he's running around the pocket, not necessarily in trouble, but figures he might as well just run it out. And when we are expecting him to slide or just to go out of bounds so he doesn't get hurt, he's actually battling against two, three, four defenders and lunges his way forward to the end zone for a touchdown. And everyone just went crazy. DJ, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were chanting MVP, weren't they? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You could hear that uh, on was... your team. I mean, it was a little hard to tell, but I mean, everyone in the stadium is going nuts. Um, by the way, fun fact: there is a clip online, uh, Patrick Mahomes in high school running uh, a touchdown play 
very similar to the one he ran in the AFC Championship game. It's actually kind of weird in a way. Uh, almost the exact same thing where he's, you know, scrambling and actually physically fighting against defenders and lunges forward for a touchdown. Uh, not the first time he's done that. Not the first time at all. But in any event, you have that moment with Patrick Mahomes, and it's just, at that moment, you're like, this team can really do it all offensively. Yes, yeah, sure, we've known that for a while, but the more and more we see it, we still sit there and kind of just drop our jaws. Like, we expect it, but at the same time, we just love when we see that because it really just gives you that that feeling, Zach, that, you know, this team really is invincible if they can play really well, which is what they've done in two straight games, overcoming these two possession or more deficits. Yeah, and I think it really does stem from the fact that, you know, we do have this quarterback who can just, you know, make some magic when he needs to, um, you know, and especially now that he's doing it, you know, on the ground as well. I know he's done it kind of throughout the playoffs, uh, but, you know, as more and more teams have just been dropping back, you know, as many people as they can into coverage, it leaves a lot of room for him to run. And, uh, you know, the fact that he's plenty mobile and can make that happen has certainly, uh, you know, added a new wrinkle. Like, I mean, honestly, I, I kind of feel for, you know, some of the uh, defensive coordinators who have had to game plan against us because at some, after a certain point, don't you just kind of throw up your hands and be like, you know what, all right, the, the, you can't stop him. You can maybe slow him down, but this is ridiculous. I quit. I feel like, you know, with some of the scrambles that he makes and the plays that, you know, he's able to make when, you know, he's just making something out of nothing. I feel like, you know, to a certain point as a defensive coordinator, it's just got to be completely, I mean, kind of demoralizing in some ways. Yeah, the Chiefs have uh, obviously one of the greatest offensive minds ever. They have a very talented roster with a lot of, um, you know, star athletes. But Mahomes is the catalyst. And, uh, you know, without him kind of, you know, leading the charge, um, that wouldn't be the same. You know, we saw Alex Smith as the quarterback with these guys, and he did a he, he did fine. He had his best season his last year here in 2017, but he never did the things that Patrick Mahomes is doing on a regular basis. And, you know, you look at this game and you say, well, what's different about this game against the Titans versus the game against the Titans back in November? And I think the biggest difference was Mahomes is coming off uh, missing, you know, two and three quarters games. Um and has that leg injury, the knee injury, he didn't rush one time. Um, and I think that not only affected um, how the defense was playing him, but also our red zone opportunities like that we squandered and we settled for field goals because he wasn't really moving around a lot to kind of buy himself some time. So um, you saw him in this game for the second consecutive week lead the team in rushing. It's When he's able to do that, I don't know how you defend him. I mean, it's it's it, it seems like it's impossible, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but since Pro Football Focus has been grading, um, I guess they weren't around back in 2006, but they can go back and look at the tape from 2006. Uh, they rated Mahomes' performance on Sunday as the highest grade for any quarterback uh, since they've started grading. You, you mean just for that like solo game in a postseason game? Uh, I, I, that That's a good question. I'm not sure if it was just for postseason or if it was – I thought I heard that it was for – any quarterback in any game. Uh, okay. It might have just been for postseason, but it was one of those two. Um, okay. So, I mean, if they, 
It, yeah, oh no, for sure. If they say any game, that probably means regular and postseason. So, right, because uh, th- usually a lot of times when we talk about you know touchdown records and comeback wins, it's only regular season. Like like the Chiefs uh, comeback last week. Uh, I mean, that's not going in the stat book, you know, because a lot of these records we see, it's mostly regular season stats. Um, but that's good that, you know, they clarified on there. So certainly makes sense. Obvi- and look, you're doing it in a playoff game against a really good defense too. Uh, Jason Anderson of A10 tweeted this. So the Chiefs have now played four playoff games with Patrick Mahomes. His record is 3-1, and one, and obviously that one loss right there could have easily been a zero, but topic for another time. And I'm sure that time will be next week when we talk about the 49ers and D Ford. Uh, but here are here's Patrick Mahomes' stat line in the four playoff games. 1,188 yards. Mind you, it's four games. 11 touchdowns, zero interceptions, 125 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, 1,313 yards passing and rushing, 13 total touchdowns, zero turnovers, and that is good for a 114.99 rating. This really reminds me of Joe Flacco. In his postseason in 2012, if I remember correctly, where the Ravens went to the Super Bowl and Flacco had a nearly flawless performance. Now, did Flacco have a moment like Mahomes did where he just ran 27 yards, doing all sorts of crazy stunts, fighting defenders and lunging forward? No, Uh, but to take care of the football that well for, I believe the Ravens played all four playoff games that year, to take care of the football that well... For four games, for playoff games, that's not an easy thing to do. Patrick Mahomes has played four playoff games against some really good defenses, mind you. And, I mean, this is a guy that just, at the end of the day, he's not turning the football over. No, and I think that the, uh, you know, realistically, I think that's the most impressive part about it. I mean, you know, I think he said 1188 in terms of total passing yardage there. And I mean that's good for just shy of 300 yards a game. Uh, I mean that's you know that that's pretty impressive. And to do that without any interceptions, like I mean playoff mode, Mahomes definitely no seems like a hell, thing. What the hell happened? Um, you know, especially this postseason, as you know, you can tell that the the loss that we took in the AFC title game last year, you can tell, especially now, how much that ate away at our guys, and that you know they were definitely. You know, there there is another gear to this team that we didn't see in the regular season, and I think the fact that there's another gear to Mahomes is really part of the biggest reason for it. Um, but I think it's also the fact that you know he really is the leader of this team and the catalyst that makes, uh, you know, it makes the most out of all of these weapons. Uh, and you know, I think between him and Kelsey, the way they they have this team amped up on the offensive side of the ball, um, I think. That realistically, I I sure wouldn't want to uh, you know go up against this Chiefs offense, uh, even with the 49ers stud defense. I, I don't know if I would want to bet against Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it, it's crazy to think because it's like you know you have Mahomes who's you know doing all sorts of things. By the way, uh, I think it was Sam Farmer from the LA Times. He had a really funny tweet uh, last year when Kareem Hunt was still on the team. He said, uh, you know, I, I never thought I'd ever be talking about Magic to Kareem, but it's happening in Kansas City. And it's like, oh, that would have been such a cool nick, uh, nickname for this duo for years to come. 
but my point is, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he's been referred to as magic because he's doing all these crazy things. And as you just said, Zach, like, uh, okay, you have Tyreek Hill. Uh, he's great, but he didn't do anything in this game. Oh, by the way, Sammy Watkins was the one who showed up. McCole Hardman, who I, I don't think he's had a whole lot of highlights offensively, but on special teams, both last week and this week, he had those two big kick returns that helped kind of jumpstart the comebacks uh, in both of these games. And then you got, as you mentioned, Travis Kelsey, who's on his way to being one of the best tight ends ever. It's like you have all of these weapons left and right. And it's just hard to think that someone could stop this Chiefs offense anytime soon, even some of the really good defenses. And, yeah, they do face a good defense next week, which we'll touch on later. But you just feel really good about this team, this offense, no matter who they face. You know, with the exception, with the oh, sorry, Tank, uh, no, with good, the exception DJ, of, with the exception of Sammy Watkins, um, his first game of the season, really, uh, his performance in the regular season has left a lot to be desired. But if you look at every one of his playoff games, he's balled out. I mean, he's been really impressive, and has, um, I mean, he had over 100 yards this past week. He had over, I think, over 150 uh, against the Patriots in the last uh, year's AFC Championship game. Same with Damian Williams. Like his regular season was kind of you know incongruent. It wasn't uh, nothing really consistent. A couple of big runs here or there. He he's th- those two guys are Mr. January for us, and they're, they've really really uh, made us a, a, a force to be reckoned with in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, actually, I, I do want to touch on that because I have Sammy Watkins' stat line here uh, in the postseason uh, last year. 10 catches, 176 yards, no touchdowns. Remember the first half of the AFC title game? The Chiefs hardly moved the football off on offense, and then Sammy Watkins on the first drive of the second half, I think he had like a 42-yard catch, which was longer than any play in the first half the Chiefs had, uh, and was obviously instrumental in helping the Chiefs come back against the Patriots in that game when they were trailing 14-0. Then in this postseason... Against the Texans and Titans, nine catches, 190 yards, and a touchdown. Sammy Watkins has a total of 19 catches, 336 yards, and a touchdown. If we talked about Patrick Mahomes' four games, if you have to look at which pass catcher would be the best pass catcher for the Chiefs in the last four games, uh, playoff games, immediately you would think either Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey. No, it's Sammy Watkins. He's been the guy. That has pulled through. He, yeah, he, I mean, he's definitely been uh, a problem with his uh, consistency as well as his availability in the regular season. But as you just mentioned, DJ, I mean, when January comes around, uh, if there's a player you can rely on, and hopefully that carries over to February in this case, uh, Zach, we know that Sammy Watkins is the one guy that Patrick Mahomes can for sure rely on. And I think that. You know, Brett Veach had been quoted as saying a couple times that you know the move for Sammy Watkins wasn't necessarily about getting to the playoffs; it was about winning in the playoffs. Uh, and I think that you know whether that's you know directly communicated down from him to Sammy uh, is up for discussion because we don't know that to be true. But certainly, based on the way they've been playing, uh, it certainly seems that you know you've got the regular season in which you've you know been pretty reliant on Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, which is perfectly reasonable. Uh, but, you know, they're sleeping on Watkins again. I feel like that's what happened in the first game of the year, and I think it's happening again. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, defenses can sleep on him all they want. 
you know, then he's just going to eat and we're going to have a heck of a lot of fun as we finish out this last game of the year. Yeah, I mean, that's just the beauty with this offense. Like, okay, you look to your right, you're trying to look for Kelsey or Hill. Well, they're, they're both double teamed and even then you can still maybe sneak in a pass there, but you don't want to risk it. Oh, you look to your left, you've got... Uh, McCall Hardman and Sammy Watkins. Well, someone's got to be open in this case. Uh, More times than not. Yeah, sure, there are plays where everyone's covered and he takes a sack or has to throw it away. But, uh, man, you ask any quarterback in the NFL, like, they want these guys around. Uh, Let's switch to the defense. Look, I don't have a whole lot to say about the defense because I questioned for a while, how good is this team in stopping the run? Because I... I have said before that they have not been challenged much. The most where they were challenged was in the Raiders game. Surprisingly, even though the Chiefs were blowing them out, the Raiders were still running the ball and running the ball fairly well. Maybe it was the Chiefs not expecting it. Perhaps that's possible as well. Maybe that's why their set line was so uh, good looking on paper. But I thought Derrick Henry was going to have a great game and he's been a much better running back in the second half. Boy, he got off to a good start, but the Chiefs, found a way to shut him down in the second half. And not just that, like, you look at the comebacks against the Texans and the Titans, obviously the offense, you know, they showed up a little late, but the defense also turned around and just completely limited these two football teams in the second halves of those games. Um, DJ, I'll start with you, DJ. I mean, I... I, I got to give credit to everyone because I did not think this rush defense was going to be ready. And Frank Clark, obviously, we mentioned the game-winning sack right there. Uh, had another great game for the Chiefs' front line. Absolutely. Uh, and he talked the talk and he walked the walk. Um, he Friday, he gave them what they called the bulletin board material, and he backed it up. <clears throat> he said that they were that, that, that they could tackle uh, Derrick Henry. That they, you know, that they. He, he doesn't run as fast for a guy his size. He should run faster. I mean, I, I looked at that, and I was like, oh, boy. But then I'm like, on the other hand, if, if you're not pumped to play in the AFC Championship game, like, you're not going to be pumped. So I, I wasn't afraid of Derrick Henry playing better because of those quotes. But, um, you know, it was Frank Clark. It was Mike Pinnell, which is a underrated uh, pickup by Veach, and I think it yes. was late October. 100%. Um, you know, Terrell Suggs uh, had a couple of pass deflections. I think K-Pass Somehow, Spags is getting production out of him. Two sacks. Uh, he also um, defended uh, the slot receiver Humphreys in coverage and deflected a pass. Like that guy is. I, I thought he was going to be cut before there. Both him and uh, Sorensen and those guys have been balling out uh, the last two weeks. Um, it's it's amazing to see, and it's funny that you know. I, I came up. I came upon a uh, tweet from Booger McFarland of all people uh, from a year ago this morning because uh, somebody liked something I had said to him, and it was about him saying after we lost the AFC Championship, like changing coordinators isn't going to make a difference. Like you really, really Kansas City, like it's it's about the players. Like and, and so I, I, I looked at it and I said, no, yes, the players are a big part of it. You know, getting Tyra Matthew, getting Frank Clark, getting all these guys, but. You also need to have a defensive coordinator, and you have to give Spags some credit because he's been able to put these guys in situations where they succeed, and he's also a guy that will adjust his game plan depending on the tempo of the game and how the uh, how the offense is playing the defense. Yeah, and I think that the one of the things that really stood out to me defensively in this game is that, you know, I mean, obviously the swagger that they've been playing with is great to see, but you know, from a fundamental level, 
that team has been so strong in the second half at making adjustments as needed. I mean, you mentioned, you know, in this game, you know, how Henry, you know, he was out to, if I remember right, he had 62 yards rushing in the first half and seven in the second half to finish with 69. Uh, and, you know, holding a running back like Derrick Henry coming off of the performances that he had come off of against two pretty solid defenses, uh, you know, it's a testament to the gap control and the fact that the other thing that is, I think, was certainly helpful is the fact that, you know, like I mentioned in last week's show, if you can get him in the backfield, he's easier to bring down. It's a matter of not letting him get momentum on you. But even then, I got to hand it, especially to Dirty Dan, uh, in the fact that, you know, as a safety, he, you know, was, he was real smart. There were a couple plays there where, you know, Henry was starting to come around the edge and against a lot of other teams, you know, you'd see him throw that stiff arm and, you know, go on to a highlight reel sort of play. But Dirty Dan just comes in, makes a nice form tackle, takes him out at the legs like you're supposed to do with a guy that big, and that's it. Uh, I think that, you know, that's, that's one of the kind of underrated reasons. That, you know, I know that it's not going to be, you know, the, the performance that gets the most acclaim, but I think it definitely deserves mentioning here uh, with, you know, really the sound tackling that we saw out of our secondary, which, as we've seen in years past, is certainly not something we should take for granted. I mean... You know, I loved Marcus Peters, but if there's one thing that always drove me nuts, it was watching him try to tackle, and we don't have that problem anymore in the secondary. Yeah, I mean, the cornerbacks, uh, Breland and Ward, I, I mean, they've really come a long way. You guys mentioned both Dan Sorensen and Tanel Passanio. I mean, those are the two players that have really been quiet under the I mean, I don't know if Dan Sorensen's really been quietly under the radar. A lot of people have been talking about him in the national media, um, and, you know, this is not something we're going to discuss soon, but I'm excited to see what's going to happen at safety next year with Juan Thornhill, you know, his progress being that he suffered the injury late and had a surgery just recently. Is he going to be ready for camp in the regular season? Uh, but once he is fully recovered, you've got Sorensen, you've got Matthew, you've got Thornhill. And I remember a year ago, uh, or about 10 months ago, a lot of people were worried, you know, the Eric Berry release, how are we going to uh, have a strong presence at safety well here it, here it is 10 months later we have our answer uh maybe took a while before we really were happy with with what's been going on at those two safety positions but now you got them right now uh this chiefs team from top to bottom i know the 49ers a lot of people who are picking the 49ers to win and i don't want to get into that game uh too much uh because obviously we'll break it down next week a lot of people are picking the 49ers because they like their defense, because they've been good long-term. And I can understand that. But the Chiefs have been... It's not like they haven't uh, gone up against good offenses. I mean, they've been tested quite a lot. My biggest question mark was, how will they stop the run? Well, they answered that, and you're definitely not going to hear from me uh, talking about you know whether or not the Chiefs can stop the run, because they definitely proved that. And you know they'll have that challenge again in... Just a few days when they play the tie, or excuse me, the uh, 49ers in Super Bowl 54 in Miami. Be- before they go there, obviously they had that special moment on the field. And DJ, I know you mentioned this on the podcast a few weeks ago. That wouldn't it be cool, you know, to have another AFC Championship game at home? Because we were all anticipating a Chiefs Ravens championship which was going to be in Baltimore but instead this was in Kansas City. And generally when the road team wins a conference title. 
they don't do the celebration on the field. They do it in the locker room because it's kind of awkward. Obviously, you know, 90% of the stadium is going to be gone by the time they do the trophy presentation. It was special. You know, everyone, you know, cheering along. And you were a part of that. I want you to give, you know, just kind of your point of view of all that. Andy Reid asking everyone on the count of three to say, how about those Chiefs? Oh, man. Um, uh, Chills. Clark, Clark Hunt. Lifting the Lamar Hunt trophy, like that right there, man. I just thought for a moment, I'm like, this guy is lifting his dad's, uh, the trophy that has his dad's name. Like, for a long, 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 ever since, you know, Lamar Hunt passed away, Clark Hunt has always talked about his father's vision. This is what he's been wanting. And he finally got to lift that trophy, which was a. I mean, I don't know where you put that in terms of top moments in Chiefs history, but Clark Hunt lifting the Lamar Hunt trophy, I mean, that's a very, very special occasion in this franchise's history. You know, I would say that um, last week's game against uh, the Texans was the greatest game I've ever been at at Arrowhead, and I've heard some people refer to it as the greatest game at Arrowhead, and I... I haven't really had a chance to think about that and kind of rank, uh, but it, it, it's up there. But the greatest moment at Arrowhead has to be that uh, that celebration and watching everybody up on the stage, seeing uh, Clark Hunt raise the trophy, you know, seeing Mahomes up there, seeing Andy Reid say, "How about those?" Like it, it was, I had chills. Um, and I was in awe. I kind of just sat down for a little bit, just trying to like process like that this is actually happening, uh, especially after last year and being so close, being, you know, a guy that I won't name um, <laughs> lined up in the neutral zone from going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, hey, if, if we had three of those in last year's AFC Championship game, we would have won. <laughs> right. Um and, you, and to see on the scoreboard, it's saying AFC champions. And to see the confetti coming down, it's just, there's so many moments. You know, Kelsey shouting, you got to fight for your right to party. Like, it, it was just <laughs> a huge celebration of stands. I hugged so many people in our section. Like, it it, it was it was insane. Um, I, I've never been in a sporting event quite like that. I'll always remember it. My wife got a great a ton of videos because I, I was just so shell-shocked that I wasn't even able to do it. Um, it, it. It... I'm just happy that I was there, um, and I never thought I would be there this year because I I thought at best, like five weeks ago, we were going to have a home wild card game, and that was it. Yeah, Zach, crazy what does this to mean? think of all oh, the things ahead, that ahead. had to. I was just you know going to comment on the fact that like it is truly amazing. Like you know, it, it in in a weird way kind of feels like kind of destined in some ways when you think of all the things that had to come together mm. to you know as as we were coming into the end of the season there. You know, to to all the things that had to come together to provide the opportunity to have this moment at Arrowhead, because um, realistically, this shouldn't have happened at Arrowhead. This probably should have happened at whatever they call Baltimore Stadium, or you know, something like that, uh, or I suppose even in Foxborough. But it didn't. It got to happen in Kansas City, which is one of the coolest things, and it's a great redemption story as well. Uh, considering that we were there you know a year ago and ended in heartbreak uh, but one of the things that just hit me there is the fact that you know it, it the fact that it, it almost didn't feel like you know you were enjoying this truly amazing moment and yet you know I feel like for so many of us 
you know, I think we forgot that it could happen that way because we've been so accustomed to having, you know, we've been so accustomed to having things just not quite turn out, being almost there, but not quite. Uh, and it's truly just an amazing ride uh, when you really think about it. And, like, you know, it, it's just an amazing mountaintop to see, you know, those sorts of things uh, where, you know, Clark Hunt's holding up his dad's, the trophy that bears his dad's name, I should say. Uh, and, you know, just truly amazing seeing all of the exhilaration uh, on, on all the players' faces as well. Um, you know, all the moments and, you know, he could dive into so many different little, you know, redemption stories like, you know, especially, you know, the Tyreek Hill interview with his son in his arms, you know, stuff like that. You know, there's so many different stories that can be told here. And it's just one of those things that honestly, you know, this is the stuff that makes sports fun. Like, you know, obviously it's fun in the moment, but this is the stuff that, you know, really makes an impact in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, all sorts of things. And obviously, you know, when I was younger, I was not a big fan of history. And that's one of the things, like, if I could go back and change things over, I, I would, you know, have a greater appreciation for history. And I, and I do now. But it's like, you know, history, whether it's, you know, American history, uh, history of music, history of anything. Because I've said this before, uh, you know, the people, good or bad, anyone that's been a part of anything in any industry, you know, they have helped pave the way for other people who are in it now. Um and what I'm trying to get at is, you know, you have Bobby Bell, who was part of the first Super Bowl. Um, he is handing that trophy to people who are part of the Chiefs franchise now, which was so cool to see. And I love it. Like, Dante Hall posted on Instagram a, a video, a, a, a photo of him and Dwayne Bell. Like, those two were never teammates together, but it's so cool seeing, you know, people from the past together. Anyone that can just educate themselves in any way, whether it's, you know, DVDs, books, whatever, articles online, you know, take, go look up some of the Lamar Hunt historical moments because there really is a lot of special stuff. And just like the way he was doubted with the AFL and if it would ever compete with the NFL, uh, the stories behind that are really fascinating. They really are. And, and I think, you know, as a Chiefs fan, for anyone that is familiar with the history, it was special to watch that moment, uh, Clark Hunt lifting that Lamar Hunt trophy. Uh, really cool overall. Obviously, you know, going to the Super Bowl. As you said, DJ, they're putting it on the video board. Super Bowl bound, you know, things like that. Uh, very cool to see. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week when the Chiefs get ready to face the 49ers in Miami for the final game of the year. Uh, speaking of the, the game in Miami... Uh, I looked immediately, well, maybe not right away because I was still, you know, in the moment, but uh, as soon as I could remember, I looked within an hour, I'll say that. I looked online for Super Bowl tickets with zero interest of purchasing them, but I wanted to know how much they cost. The cheapest ticket I found shortly after the Chiefs won, and keep in mind the NFC Championship game has not been determined yet, the cheapest ticket was around $4,000. So, you know, let's say, you know, what's the, you know, a family of four or you and, and a group a group of four people in total, because um, that's probably, you know, the average when you go out to eat or go out to a sporting event, whatever, you're generally with four people, uh, you know, that, that, that sounds about fair. Um, so if you're going to go to the Super Bowl with four people, that's at least $16,000. And that's, of course, before taxes, fees, all that good stuff. Is it even worth it to purchase 
a Super Bowl ticket that's thousands of dollars because at the end of the day, man, it's like, you know, what if your team loses? And I hate to have that pessimistic thought because, you know, what if your team loses? And second of all, I feel like the Super Bowl, obviously it's the one of the biggest moments of the year, uh, maybe the biggest moment of the year. And, and, and I mean, I don't want to debate that, but uh, isn't the Super Bowl something that caters better to the home viewing audience than the audience in attendance? Because obviously, you know, the halftime show, I don't know, depending where you sit, you might not even have a good view of the halftime show. And then, of course, the commercials, which is always a big spectacle. Some years better than others, sure, but it just feels like, you know, why are you spending that much money on Super Bowl tickets when, you know, let's be honest, you could do a lot better things. You could have maybe a fancy Super Bowl party and then you have a lot more money afterwards that you don't spend on a ticket and you keep. And on top of that, like I said earlier, I feel like the Super Bowl experience, they cater more to the home viewing audience than the people in attendance. Zach, I'll start with you. Like, what's more worth it to you? going to a game or enjoying this from home so i mean it it, part of my answer here is definitely colored by the fact that ain't no way i could come up with that kind of money right now but if (laughs) i was in a position where i could uh like you know even just kind of like if i could even have remotely justified doing it just because you know the way i look at it is like that would be an event and an experience that you know I very well may never get the opportunity to have again. So I would want to seize it because, I mean, it's definitely a bucket list thing. I'd love to go to a Super Bowl once in my life. I think only once is fine. Like, really, I don't think I need to go more than once. But I would definitely be down to go once. And I would obviously only want to go if the Chiefs were playing in it. You know, no sense in wasting the one shot watching two teams that I don't care nearly as much about. But by the same token, I think you're absolutely correct that, you know, it is more built for the home viewing audience. I love Super Bowl parties, um, you know, and I, uh, I'll be honest, I'm very excited for the new experience of doing that when I actually care about the outcome. Uh, you know, in years past, I've cared about the outcome just because I've, you know, not wanted Team A or Team B to win, but, you know, it's not like this. Um, but ultimately, I, I totally hear where you're coming from, you know, the notion of not wanting to spend that sort of money, but in a weird kind of way, like I, even if it was an you know kind of underwhelming experience, so to speak, in terms of you know you look at all the different things that you know roll into it, and you know the fact that you realistically, I'm guessing that four thousand dollars or whatever was probably not for the best seats in the house, and I can't even you know fathom what a beer must cost there. But I think that you know when you're having that sort of experience, you kind of build it into the budget, and you just kind of then after that don't think about it and just focus on enjoying the moment. Uh, and really living out that experience, so I, I would I would do it at some point, but at the moment, not a chance because I definitely do not have that kind of money. Yeah, I mean, it's it, for me. I, I suppose if I had a free ticket, I would do it. If I had one, you know, the season ticket member like ability, like they, you know, they did a random drawing and um, you could purchase the tickets for I guess face value, I think, um, and I think the face value of the tickets were like seventeen hundred dollars a piece. I might have considered it, um, but, you know, think about the Super Bowl. Um, more than f- half that crowd doesn't care who's winning the game. Um, they're not there cheering for either side. Maybe, I guess, if they gambled on one of the teams. But, uh, in fact, I'd say it's probably even 60 or 70% of the people that are there 
Uh, it's it's a lot of corporate people. There's a lot of obviously people that have a lot of money. Um, I'd rather be at home watching the game. In fact, I was contemplating throwing the Super Bowl party, and then I thought about it, and I'm like, I don't even want people here that aren't rooting for the Chiefs. So I nixed that, and I said, you know what? It's just going to be myself and my wife, and we're going to watch the game because, I, to be honest, I would get mad at people if they were like cheering for the 49ers or if they were cheering a big play by the 49ers. Like I, I want this you, to be. You get like this Arrowhead. moment once every 50 years. You don't need your friends to be jerks about it. Exactly. I mean, I, I. I go to Arrowhead for the atmosphere. You're not going to get that atmosphere at the Super Bowl. You're just not going to. Um, yeah. No, go ahead. No, you're right. You, well, actually, what's funny is the Vikings almost had a home Super Bowl game. And I remember a lot of Vikings fans were saying, oh, well, we're going to get our home field advantage, all that stuff. But, okay, let's say, let's say next year's Super Bowl, for example, is at Arrowhead. Believe it or not... You don't get the tomahawk chop or any of that stuff at home because the game has to operate at a almost like it's a neutral site. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I so mean, so like they can't they won't play, you know, whatever the touchdown song is for the Chiefs. It's it's really like a neutral moment and even then like people might think that you have a home field advantage. Tickets have already been sold for a while, and it, you may not have as many Chiefs fans as you would think. I don't know. People may not have known that. Yeah, I, mean, if you I wanna... feel like, though, Arrowhead might be the one exception to that rule. I mean, obviously, like, I know that, you know, the rules still apply, so they're, you know, not going to go out and play, you know, all of the Chiefs songs, so to speak. But you can't tell me that a Super Bowl at Arrowhead would not have, you know, quite a few Chiefs fans who found their way in and are absolutely going to, you know, try to make that the as much of a home field advantage as they can. And I get that that's probably not the same way in every other NFL stadium, but uh, in Arrowhead, I feel like that's definitely the exception to the rule. DJ, what were yeah. you going to say? Oh, uh, well, to kind of go off what you just said, man, I, that, would, that would be a situation where I would contemplate going into that to go to the Super Bowl if it was at Arrowhead because, you know, I, I still worry about whether we would actually have uh, enough Chiefs fans there, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, our fan base is so uh, rabid and uh, uh, loyal that I think we would have a lot of Chiefs fans at that game and people willingly busting into their 401ks. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at StubHub right now. There is a front row seat for $15,000. Um, maybe that's, uh, not as expensive as you might. Oh, I'm sorry. This is actually, it's front row seat in the second floor. I apologize. Hmm. So I was about to say, uh, I know, uh, they're more expensive. By the way, there is a section at the 50 yard line on the chief's side. Um, on the chief's side, it's called the 72 club. I guess it's a special all inclusive section. Uh, if you want to sit front row, it is $51,777 for one ticket. (laughs) I mean, so like, wait, sorry, you said fifty-one thousand. Yeah, 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 fifty-one thousand dollars. That is an absurd amount of money, more than the average American family makes in a year. That's really that's cool. what I was gonna say. It's like, how much money are you making? Like, okay, Zach, you and I, we were talking about this uh, before we started recording. It's like, who goes to the Super Bowl? You know, we saw Dave Portnoy. You know, sitting. He didn't have the best seats in the world last year before security threw him out of the stadium, but. Uh, I mean, he had decent seats. Like, we're talking about people who own 
some sort of a business uh, or just someone that makes a lot of money and they're able to have their own schedule and they can, uh, you know, take off whenever they want to. Like, these are the people who are going to the Super Bowl. Um, like the Dave Portnoy's of the world who maybe are CEOs or they own some company, uh, small or big. Like, these are the kinds of people who are going to Super Bowls. Um, these are the ones who have $51,777 that they can spend to go see their team win or maybe lose. So, uh, enjoy that if you're going to spend your, your money on the Super Bowl. Um, now after the Super Bowl, obviously a couple of months after the NFL draft will take place, the NFL draft will be in Las Vegas. Obviously this is to celebrate that an NFL franchise will be in Vegas and, by the way, congratulations to the Las Vegas Raiders. They are now officially the Las Vegas Raiders, which also means that you now have the worst home field advantage in the NFL because, let's be honest, there are going to be a lot of tourists that are going to be going there to follow their teams on the road. So uh, have fun with that, Raiders fans. Uh, enjoy the uh, Chargers-like atmosphere in, uh, in Las Vegas because, quite honestly, that fan base deserves it. But in any event... Um, the, I, I was wondering just a week ago, where is the draft going to be? And I couldn't find out where, and I was kind of surprised. They announced on Tuesday that the NFL draft will take place at the Bellagio Fountains, on the Bellagio Fountains. For those who have never been to Vegas, there are a lot of hotels on the Strip, on the main street. They call it the Strip. You know, you, you walk on the Strip, you look to your left, there are a lot of hotels. You look to your right, a lot of tall towers, a lot of hotels, restaurants, bars, whatever. One of them is the Bellagio, and one of the things, if you've never been to Vegas, the Bellagio has these fountains, uh, really cool, uh, and they've got music going along with it, and the water, the, the all the stuff you see is synchronized with the music. Um, also a very popular place, a place for marriage proposals, uh, fun fact, but uh, either way, uh, neither here nor there. The draft will take place on the, on the actual fountains. They're going to build a stage right there. Uh, Panic at the Disco, they have performed on the stage once before a Las Vegas Golden Knights game because one of their songs, they use it anytime the Golden Knights score a goal. But here's what's interesting. So, Roger Goodell, as always, he'll come to the stage and he'll announce the draft pick. And I guess in the background, the fountains are going to go off in celebration and they are going to bring a boat to transport the player from... Wherever the green room is going to be, I, I mean, this is an outdoor venue, so I have no idea how it's going to look. And they're going to transport them by boat to the stage. Now, my question is, the fountains are facing the the strip, the street. Where the hell are fans going to sit? Unless you're building a massive uh, bleacher in front of the uh, fountains, which essentially you're going to have to shut down the street which is what they do on New Year's in Vegas. This is not... I mean, there are hundreds of... Literally, hundreds of venues in Vegas. And they picked the fountain as the stage? I mean, look, it looks cool, I guess, on TV, but you got to think of the people that are attending as well. By the same token, though, I mean, you know, it's the NFL draft. You're right. There are tons of different venues in Vegas that you could have used. So... You know, when you've got nothing but good choices, what do you do? You go for the one thing that you really don't get to do all that often, you know, that they'd really have to pull out all the stops for because it's the NFL draft. Um, and so, honestly, like, I, I think it's kind of cool. Um, don't get me wrong, I didn't for a minute consider, you know, the logistics of it because, again, I'm not going to be there. 
Um, I guess I never really <laughs> thought of it like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that the fact that they're doing this just, I, I, I mean, let's be honest. You, you can't tell me that they're not doing this at least to some level just because they can. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's kind of cool, actually. Like, you know, why not? I guess, you know, it is the NFL draft. It's a, uh, you know, incredibly exciting time and, you know, the entire nation's going to be watching. So, you know. Don't get me wrong, I think that logistically it's going to take way longer to get through things because I can't imagine those boats go super-duper fast. It's going to be the longest first round ever. And yet, I'm sure that, you know, it's still going to be pretty cool. I mean, I don't know, maybe the novelty of it will wear off by, you know, the second or third pick where it's like, okay, that's cute, you know, you're you're on the water, neat, good job. Now let's get this draft moving. Uh, But, you know. In any event, I do think it's you know it's certainly a clever idea, um, and it's just since it, it it's the novelty of it. I think that that's really what you know I'm intrigued by. It's the fact that you know realistically, you know I, I didn't even know they really could do these sorts of things. Like I knew they had the dancing fountains and all, but it never occurred to me like ah yes, let's put a stage in the middle of that and we'll do the draft from there. Like that's kind of clever in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I saw the picture of it online uh, on Twitter today, and it, it looks really, really cool. Uh, practically speaking, like you guys said, I, I, I don't know how it's going to play out. It's going to be a long first round for us, assuming we keep our first round pick. Um, <laughs> That's a good end. point. So we'll be watching. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. It, it'll be it'll be fun to to see how they are able to accomplish this, and they really don't need to do it either because interest in the NFL is so high, and especially also the draft. I like. People are going to be watching that, even if they have it at like the YMCA. Um, it, it's just it's one of the most watched, uh, especially the first round. It's one of the most watched scenes on television and sporting events. Period. So, but you know, like you said, because they can. I mean, that's that's why they're doing it. Yeah, it's if the you same guys... way they did it at the top of the Rocky Steps when they did it in Philly. You know, you gotta yep. you gotta one up yourself a little bit. Yeah, I mean, when you're in Vegas, I guess yeah, you gotta you gotta go for it. Uh, I get where you're coming from. If for those who've never been to when Vegas, they do it in Kansas City, they'll do it on top of Liberty Memorial or something like oh, that. Oh Jesus, something crazy. I, I mean, okay, that that'll actually take longer than transporting people on the boat. Um, I'm Only actually, half you know, kidding. I, I'm I'm actually curious, like what what could they do in Kansas City? I mean, that's a few years away, but. That'll be that'll be interesting to see if they can try to one up Vegas, but we'll see. Um, if you guys have never been to Vegas, I hope I was able to describe all of that to you, the scene and everything. If if it was hard for you to understand, just go to like your map app on Google Earth or on your phone, type the Bellagio in Las Vegas and look that up because I mean there's a there's a street right there, but then behind that there are more shops and restaurants. So I don't know how fan seating is going to work. That is going to be interesting to see in a few months um real quickly uh i want to talk about this i also want to talk about something else before we get to our text messages uh zach you're a ku fan obviously did you watch the ku kansas state game so i did watch part of it and then i kind of dozed off for the second half because we were kind of smoking them and it was you know i also have narcolepsy so whatever it happens um so dozed off and then woke up to realize like ah neat there has been a giant scrum and then i watched went back and watched the tape and uh yeah not a great look for either team there like i mean don't get me wrong i understand you know it's a rivalry game and all but uh really i mean 
I, I I'm not proud of what what we did there as Jayhawks. I mean, you know, not a good look for Silvio. Like, uh, just on the whole, just didn't need to happen. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to assign blame one way or another because blame certainly resides on both sides. There were definitely opportunities to de-escalate that were obviously not taken. Uh, instead, they chose to do the exact opposite and escalate the situation. Uh, but just not a good look. Like, I'm not not proud of what happened there. Let me just set the stage real quickly. So, in typical Kansas versus Kansas State fashion, Kansas State's losing by 22 points. Nothing out of the ordinary when these two teams play. Uh, but with six seconds left, when KU's just dribbling the basketball... Uh, a Kansas State player steals the ball, and he wants to get this layup so badly because, you know, Uncle Frank, who doesn't think about this nephew of his because he's a reserve on Kansas State's team, you know, he might notice and give his nephew a call. So he, he's really trying hard for this layup here. So, you know, hey, look, six seconds left. You want to play ball? Okay, well, then in fairness, you know, KU has every right to play aggressive defense and make it the hardest sh- shot of your life. Uh, Silvio de Souza goes and swats the ball. He blocks it as time expires. KU wins by 22 points. Now, this is where things get ugly. Silvio de Souza is taunting the guy. He's on the ground. Silvio is taunting him. And not just taunting him, he's standing on top of him for a good two seconds. Like, he's not backing off. Like, he's not leaving. He's still on top of the player. And he's actually, like, getting close to his face, too. A bunch of Kansas State players swarm in and get in Silvio de Souza's face, and they get physical. And to be quite honest, man, I don't blame these Kansas State players. You know, if that was my teammate, albeit they just did something stupid with the last six seconds, that's your brother. That's your teammate right there. You you taunt him. I mean, you you want to block his shot. That's one thing. You want to taunt him and not stop doing what you're doing. Okay, well then that's going to ignite a brawl. And that's exactly what happened. K-State players got off the bench in defense of their teammate, which I don't blame. And they got physical because he's not wanting to leave from his teammate. Then here's what a lot of people are not talking about. This fight did escalate out of bounds behind the baseline. Zach, you know this. A lot of people don't know this. The In front of the student sections on both sides is a section specifically for wheelchair seating. Obviously... You know, if something were to happen there, those people are not in physical condition to where they can get out of the way quickly. And this fight happened in the blink of an eye where all of a sudden it goes from the baseline to the wheelchair seating area. Now, I don't think there were any reports of anyone being injured, but Silvio de Souza knocked down two people to grab a stool. Now, he didn't go swinging it at anyone. There were a couple of misreports out there in the national media that he swung the stool. He never did. He put it down immediately, realizing what he did. But at that point, the damage had been done. You know, yeah, look, the photo exists. Yeah. If you guys remember Habib Nurmagomedov, he beat Conor McGregor last year in a fight. And after that, he jumped over the cage to attack his teammates, Conor McGregor's corner. And that fight escalated into the stands, into the front row seats. And even though no one really got hurt... Habib still took a hefty punishment because it's about what could have happened. You know, the example has been used. You know, if you have a firearm and you just shoot it at a crowd, you know, just if, 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 if no one gets hurt, that doesn't mean that's okay. You know, you still did something and you put a lot of people's lives at, at risk. You know, a lot of people who 
could have been in physical harm. You know, they were in harm's way right there. Um, now, again, that K-State player, what he did was stupid. But I don't blame his teammates at all for coming to his defense. Look, man, it's the final six seconds. I get there's a non-written rule to not steal a ball, but it's not the worst thing in the world either. And so what if he stole it? Let him go make his make his layup, okay? Uh, you're going to win by 20. Just, you know, chuckle at him when you shake hands at midcourt. Um, there was no reason to taunt him because you're you won a game by 22 points. That was just stupid in my opinion. I mean, yeah, I mean, I hear where you're coming from on that. Sorry to cut you off there, DJ, but I mean, to be clear, you know, on your home court, you know, the the stealing of the ball with six seconds left as you're trying to dribble it out is kind of bush league. And so I agree. I'm all for what Silvio did in terms of, you know, going down, blocking the shot with authority. And, you know, even if you just kind of step over him for a second, that's one thing. But. To hold it where he did, that was mistake number two Like that escalated this. Because mistake number one is the Kansas State player choosing to be a turd and steal the ball, try to get his little moment in the sun the way the kid from, I think it was Monmouth did, where he made you know sports center for a classless move like that at the end of the game too. Uh, so mistake number one was that. Mistake number two was Silvio standing over him. And don't get me wrong. I don't advocate for that at all. Like, you didn't need to do that, but at the same time, it was a pride thing. I I understand, you know, the initial standover. It's the holding of it that I didn't love. But then, you know, opportunity number three for things to de-escalate, you know, there was no need, in my opinion, for Kansas State fans, especially there was one kid who came off the bench in street clothes uh, who has now gotten eight-game suspension but he was already in street clothes anyway, so I'm not sure how effective that is. That's a separate discussion. Uh, but, you know, to come off the bench, either, you know, whether you were suspended, injured, what, doesn't matter. You were in street clothes, but you come off the bench flying, throwing haymakers, like, that ain't all right. And then, obviously, mistake number four was, you know, Silvio picking up the stool, which, like, again, this isn't the WWE. You don't do that. Uh, again, I've watched the tape, a bunch of different angles here. I know that people like to say that you know someone swatted the stool out of Silvio's hand. No, he dropped it. I promise. Yeah, he dropped it. Like, trust <laughs> me, this is a big man, and I know that you know Coach Howard was going in to knock it out of his hands too, and be like, no, absolutely not. You know, cooler heads did prevail, but at the same time, the damage was absolutely done. But like, just so much stupid on both sides there that didn't need to happen. Um, and honestly, as a KU fan, like, you know. Sadly, I expect that sort of Bush League, you know, steal the ball and try to get your moment in the sun stuff from Kansas State. You know, that's pretty much par for the course. You know, at KU, we've had a couple of incidents with boneheaded players doing the same thing. You know, Brandon Green and Elijah Johnson both come to mind where they've, you know, gone for a dunk that they didn't need at the end of a game, too. I think that's equally classless. You don't need to do that. But... Um, I think that, you know, it is unfair to just pile all of it on Silvio because, to be fair, you know, there's another angle that has since come out far as that was essentially, you know, taken from, if you know, where basically where the band section is. So it's essentially yeah, from yeah. behind where you can get a good view of, you know, what happened there. And essentially what you see there prior to Silvio going and picking up the stool is it's four on one. Which, don't get me wrong, he got himself into that situation, but at the same time, like, you know, you're going to react and defend yourself because, you know, at some point, you know, rational mind certainly uh, 
has taken a back seat because your fight or flight kicks in, and evidently his reflex is to pick up a stool, but that's a separate discussion. On the whole, though, just completely, you know, I mean, the suspensions have since been handed down. You know, the kid who came off the bench for Kansas State's got an eight-game suspension. Um, and I Silvio got 12. Silvio's got 12. David McCormick's got two. And there was another one for Kansas State. I just forget where he fit in. I don't know if he came off the bench or if he was the kid who did the steal, but he's got, I think, a three-game suspension. And I think that's all about right. Also, I think it's fitting that uh, if if I counted right, and I very well may have messed this up, to be clear, but uh, pretty sure the 12 games uh, was in part because of the fact that the KUK State game in Manhattan is exactly 12 games away, and so this is correct. Silvio yep. sitting for that. And as we've seen before, like that's the one thing about this that I find personally frustrating is that you know we've never had this sort of thing happen in the field house before. We've had you know documented incidents at Bramlage, uh, K State's home court for those of you keeping score at home. Um, you know, though those incidents were more with fans than anything else. Uh, but probably wise to leave Silvio and Lawrence for that game because Lord only knows how that would turn out. It certainly wouldn't be good given track records there. So DJ just not a good look across the board. I know I know you don't have a rooting interest, but what did you think of that? Well first off, I you know, I don't know if you guys saw there was a pretty funny meme with uh Silvio uh holding the chair up and somebody drew Hulk Hogan's facial hair and uh, <laughs> <laughs> a Hulkamania shirt on him. Um, it was a clown move by the K-State player. Um, and I don't blame Silvio for um, rejecting. You, you called it a SWAT. I I think that's an understatement. I would call it rejecting that dude's manhood because that, that, <laughs> that ball got batted down really hard. <laughs> And it it reminded me of Scottie Pippen back in 1994 in the playoffs. It was the last game at Chicago Stadium. And he dunked on uh, Patrick Ewing, threw him down, and stood over his face. And I thought there was going to be a brawl. There was already a brawl in that series uh, that got some guys suspended. I thought that was going to cause another one. It didn't. You know what? Here's what uh, really briefly, like. The, the thing you worry about is, and I know Dick Vitale mentioned the, the malice at the palace. That's what you're worried about. Um, I, I don't, are they allowed to drink at, uh, at the field house? I don't they think are so. Not. No. Okay. So that makes it probably less likely because you don't have fans that are drinking and, you know, throwing beers and stuff like that, but you don't want to involve the fans in any of that. It's bad enough when it's the players, when you, when you involve the fans, you're knocking fans down. It's just, it, so many things can go wrong, um, and it's just not worth it. I mean, there, that game was a blowout. It was over. It was, there's no yeah. point to any of it. Um, did the guy did the guy from K State get uh, suspended or no? I don't uh, know if it was the guy who did the stealing or not, but there were two suspensions for each team. Uh, okay. Silvio's, of course, being the longest. But really, where I am just kind of disappointed here as a KU grad and obviously a KU fan, you know, as far as I'm concerned. You know, and it, this also comes from, you know, a lifetime of being an older sibling as well. And I know, Farzine, you can, you know, empathize with this to a level. Uh, DJ, I don't know if you have any siblings or not and where you happen to fall in the, uh, you know, birth order there. But I know Farzine and I both are uh, the eldest sibling. And, you know, yeah, there's just something that comes with the turf of that uh, that's, you know, even when the little sibling is being an asshole, you, you know, you can put them in their place, sure, but the minute that things really escalate, mom and dad are coming after you because you're bigger and you're supposed to know better. 
And as far as I'm concerned, that's the way that, you know, I view this rivalry. And I know that's going to piss off some K-State fans. And for that, I'm kind of sorry. But realistically, I... uh, okay, no, I'm not. Let's be honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I know you. I was trying to be nice, um, but <laughs> in any okay. event, like you know, th- there's no reason that Silvio shouldn't have been able to just swat it and move on and be like, "Yep, you're a clown." Glad that I was able to remind you of that. Now let's go no, shake I hands agree. and move on with our lives. Like, yeah, I know, agree. Look, I mean, comes the, with the turf. The, the the we all agree. Like the KC player going for the seal, like that's dumb, and then. There were like everyone else wanted to do something dumber. Like that's what happened at the end of the day. That's how I view it. Um, real quickly, before we get to text messages, have either of you guys checked out this Aaron Hernandez series on Netflix? I have. I watched not. the first. I watched the first episode. I still have two to go. Okay, I'm actually at that place as well. Zach, what did you say? You said you have. I have not. It's on my. I mean, to be fair, it's a fairly lengthy list at this point, but it's on my to watch list. I, I have one of those long lists as well, but uh, I won't give anything away. It's actually a very fascinating docu-series. Um, check it out if you guys get a chance. See, uh, it actually features, uh, at least the first episode, features former Chief Ryan O'Callaghan. Uh, he was an offensive tackle for the Chiefs, uh, and then he went over to the Patriots. Uh, the reason he has a part of this, and I won't give too many of the details away, uh, I guess there was a question about Aaron Hernandez's sexuality. Because he had actually hooked up with a teammate uh, from his high school. And Ryan O'Callaghan, he did come out as gay uh, a few years ago during his time with the Patriots. So uh, that is the contribution he has to this docuseries. So uh, it does feature uh, Ryan O'Callaghan, former Kansas City Chief, uh, of course. Uh, The thing I wanted to get into with this, and I don't want to touch on this too long, but obviously Patriots fans are giving Chiefs fans crap for defending a quote-unquote child beater when you know we all know the details on that but a lot of other people don't um at one point in this series uh, at least in the first episode you see aaron hernandez is being uh he's in a cop car and the car is you know on its way somewhere there are patriots fans shouting at that vehicle saying we love you aaron we love you it's like i get this is before he was found guilty but Come on, like, a lot of people knew how that was going to go. Uh, I get it, innocent until proven guilty, but come on. You, you kind of knew where that whole thing was going, and all these Patriots fans that want to give Chiefs fans a hard time, well, Chiefs fans have a lot of ammunition now to respond to Patriots fans for this kind of thing. Uh, DJ, did you notice that in the first episode? I did. I, you know, it's if you asked most fans from any of the 32 NFL teams um, – and they were actually being honest with you, I would say the majority of fans are fine with having players of various characters on their team so long as they are really good at what they do. Um, I'm not one of those people. Um, you know, I believed in Tyreek Hill getting a second chance. If 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 the allegations have been true about the, the latest episode with his son, I, I, was, I was ready to be done with him. Um, in fact, I jumped to that conclusion, I think, as as many other people did, uh, based on the bad reporting initially. But, um, yeah, I mean, fan bases are hypocritical. There are so many fan bases that hit us, and, uh, you know, Denver Broncos, for example, they they have the most uh, arrests uh, of any fan base in the NFL, or of any team, uh, NFL team. Um, so, 
you kind of have to look in the mirror as a as a fan and you know really appreciate um, your own team's dirty laundry. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'll get trolled constantly, and they'll they'll say, "Well, we didn't know Aaron Hernandez was a bad guy." That's not true, and I think yeah. we find that out. I think we find that out in the subsequent episodes based on what I've been hearing that the NFL and the Patriots were aware of violent behavior from Hernandez uh, stemming from his time with Florida um, where he was involved in, I believe a shooting uh, amongst other things. So they can't claim to be innocent um, nor can we. Um, It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. I I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but man, just what you learned in the first episode alone, like they could have concluded that, as just just one episode, man, that would have been a lot to digest uh, from that series. Definitely check it out if you guys haven't. A uh, really cool series. Uh, let's go to our text messages, 913-808-2119. A lot of text. Uh, listen, um, I got a couple of texts and a couple of emails, a couple of Facebook messages, people saying, hey, please continue the podcast and all. Look, that means a lot, and I appreciate everyone that's been saying that. It's, it's awesome knowing that people want me to continue this. Um... It's just time, man. <laughs> like, I, I, Zach and DJ know we've talked about this, you know, away from the podcast. Like, it's been really hard for me to keep up lately. Uh, I acknowledge that maybe uh, some of the podcasts in terms of overall quality have not been great. I'm not saying it, it was terrible. But, um, you know, it's just I haven't been able to put as much time in preparation for the podcast. I, I will acknowledge that. Uh I, I mean, I'll be honest about that. I just haven't, and that's a big reason why I'm stepping away. The other podcast I'm going to do, which I know I said I would give details, but I don't have the details for that now. The other podcast I'm going to do, it's going to be, you know, le- more laid back and also less uh, often. You know, it's not going to be time sensitive where you have to do it before uh, the week, the NF- the fo- following NFL week and all. Um, it might even be like once or twice a month. So, uh, yeah, that's that's where I'm coming from on that. Uh, again, I appreciate everyone that, that, that had the comment about the podcast. It will, I'll still be doing another podcast. It's not going to be, you know, chiefs, a chiefs podcast, but, uh, all good things must come to an end. Um, with that said, let's go to Brandon who says, don't stop the podcast. Keep it going. Obviously address that. Thank you. Brandon means a lot. He said this, uh, on the pod, uh, on the text, excuse, excuse me. He said, I said it before. I'll say it again. Screw all the dirty Dan haters. But also, this is a sign. And, you know, we talked about this with Dan Sorensen. You know, the the heads-up play on special teams against the Texans uh, and just a lot of the big defense. The big hit on Ryan Tannehill. Like, you, Dan Sorensen, he's had quite the journey. It, it hasn't been perfect, but uh, this is the best we've seen Dan Sorensen during his time as a Chief. Yeah, and like I mentioned earlier, man, I mean, like, you know, dude hits hard. Uh, and he does, you know, the little things right. You know, all of my criticisms for him have historically been reserved for the fact that realistically he's not, you know, always the best in pass coverage. He's just not, and that's okay. Uh, you know, he's not as athletic as some of the tight ends or receivers that he has to cover, but, you know, he's great at his, you know, kind of hybrid safety linebacker sort of role. Uh, and, you know, just because he doesn't always do. Yeah, I mean, like, if we were setting him back as a center field type safety the way we've done with Juan Thornhill historically, yeah, that'd be a problem. But, no, nah, no hate for Dirty Dan. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'll admit that I thought for sure we were going to cut him and I wanted him to be cut uh, before the season, but that would have been a mistake. He's obviously played very, very well in these playoffs. Um, 
and he's a nice little chess piece to have. And he's only 29 years old. It feels like he's been on the team for 15 years. <laughs> so, yeah, he's been around uh, for a while. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a key component to uh, what they're trying to do, and he's great for depth on this team. So it's good to have him on the team. Out of the 913, Chiefs' win today was freaking awesome. I have been a season ticket holder since 1993 and haven't felt the thrill and excitement that I felt today. Proud of our Chiefs and proud of Chiefs' kingdom. Uh, and, you know, when you get, you know, a message like this and you think of, you know, just really how people feel and all, obviously, you know, we've had special moments like um, Dante Hall's crazy reverse touchdown play. Uh, the Broncos and Chiefs game that Cairo Santos barely got the game-winning field goal. The 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 Chiefs beating the Packers when they were what fourteen and zero, thirteen and zero, whatever it was, uh, several years ago on six days notice when you change coaches and quarterbacks. It's like you've had some of these really special moments, and it's like it's time for that big moment. And we mentioned before, thank goodness that this was at Arrowhead because it just made that moment even more special for the Chiefs. And DJ, you were there for that, and you got to experience it with everyone that a lot of people will probably say one of the best days of their lives. I I, I can't imagine um, any sporting event better for anybody's life if you're a Chiefs fan. So, But it's a it was a top five moment in my life period uh, just to be there and experience that, like I said, after many, many years of heartbreak um, and you know, realizing you have like that baggage of being a fan and having to suffer through the, the unthinkable uh, playoff losses, but yeah, it, it washed away a lot of uh, the tears and the the heartache from all those years. Out of the six two six, Daniel in Florida, he goes. I've been a fan for twenty seven years. I was twelve years old. I love this team. The good, the bad, the ugly. All I wanted is to play the last game of the year in the Super Bowl. I came to tears and was screaming. I couldn't believe it. And, Zach, you know, it's kind of interesting. You, you know, This is obviously a similar text to the last one. I didn't think about this until Tuesday. The Chiefs' regular season started in Florida against the Jaguars, and it's going to end in Florida in Miami. Yeah, I think it's a nice little, uh, you know, it comes full circle, man. Um, you know, and especially if you look at, you know, the upgrade that comes from Jacksonville to Miami, I think you can, that, you know, metaphor can write itself. Um, but man, I I totally feel for, you know, where he's at there in terms of, you know, you live through all the heartbreak and it it really does, you know, I mean, I'm not much of a crier, but I could totally understand being brought to tears here (laughs) because it really is a special moment. Speaking of full circle, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, DJ. Full circle, uh. So you said we're our season, our regular season started in Miami. Remember uh, who we played the first preseason game? <laughs> San Francisco. Uh, who? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we. Our very it? first game of the year was against San Francisco at Arrowhead. Okay, for some reason I thought it was second or third, but no, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the first regular season game was actually in Jacksonville, but point taken, it was in Florida. Um, four three two. Odessa in Texas. I'm amazed to witness greatness and history this Sunday. 49ers winning formula looks similar to the Titans. Run the ball and protect the lead. Power versus speed. Give me speed once again. Uh, We'll definitely talk more about that Chiefs and 49ers game. That'll be on next week's podcast. We'll break down the game. Uh, The Super Bowl. We'll be breaking down the Super Bowl for the first time ever on this podcast, which is going to be very cool. Aaron in Front Royal, Virginia, out of the 313. Another awesome team win Sunday night. I think Casey will win the Super Bowl by four points or less. Casey's offense won't be able to drive down the field and eat clock against that defense. Their scores are going to come on 
long passes and or blown coverages. San Francisco offense doesn't scare me much. Uh, I don't see whatever that running back's name is breaking off. Uh, what's his name? Raheem Mostert? Raheem Mostert. Yeah, Mostert. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. He'll hit, We'll talk about him a lot next week. Yes, he had a big NFC Championship game. Uh, but he says, long story short, Chiefs by five. So, hold on. I'm confused there. In, in the beginning of his text, he said Chiefs will win by four points or less. And at the end of the text, he says Chiefs by five. Yeah, he changed his mind. Okay, he changed his <laughs> mind as he's texting us. But nonetheless, we appreciate that, Aaron. Um, last text, uh, Michael out of North Carolina, 336. I love your show. I drive a truck and listen when I am on the road, so I will miss your show greatly. Thank you. No, thank you, Michael. I definitely appreciate that. And again, I always love hearing these stories about how people are listening to the podcast, whether it's at work, uh, driving a truck, at the gym. Whatever. Uh, always very cool to hear that. So I appreciate that. And again, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'll still be podcasting. Granted, it'll be a different podcast, and I understand not everyone will be interested in that. that, that that's okay. That's okay. Certainly not expecting the same audience uh, for the next one. But he says, uh, "Do you think we could use the same defensive game plan for the 49ers as we did to the Titans? We are going to the Super Bowl. Go Chiefs!" Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say this about uh, since, since since he asked and wants to know our input. You know, you got to prepare for every game differently. And the 49ers know that you just had a really good game against the best running back in the NFL. So the 49ers are also keeping in mind that, hey, look, they just did really well in this area. Let's now be one step ahead and mix things up because they might be expecting us to try to do something similar when we know that they can shut that down. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you never want to duplicate a game plan. It's that simple. And so, you know, you, especially when you've got two weeks to get stuff ready, which we do, obviously, because, you know, the Pro Bowl is this weekend, so no no, uh, no game on Sunday. Uh, you know, I think that you'll see very different wrinkles from, from both teams. I don't think that we're going to duplicate the same offensive game plan because, I mean, let's be honest, they've got a really strong secondary and a defensive line they can get after the quarterback. Don't want to get into the analysis. We'll save that for next week, but... Yeah, the notion of using the same game plan to slow down the uh, 49ers as the Titans, I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I mean, uh, 49ers are uh, different than the Titans uh, in one respect. Uh, their their offensive weapons are better than the Titans. You know, they the Titans have the better player uh, in Derrick Henry than anybody on the 49ers. I mean, obviously Kittle is awesome. He's either the number one or number two tight end depending on uh what city you live in but yeah uh, it's gonna be more difficult uh you know they have better wide receivers than the titans uh did they obviously have a much better tight end um offensive line is very similar i think um kind of a power um offensive line designed to like be able to allow the run to develop so it's gonna be a it's it's gonna be a challenge and it's, i think it's gonna be close by the way, for the Chiefs, uh, that was the last text message. I appreciate everyone who texted in 913-808-2119. Obviously, a lot will change in the next week. Hopefully, no one's playing basketball in the locker room or anything. Uh, But as far as injuries go for the Chiefs, only Demarcus Robinson did not practice, and I believe it's because of an illness. So, so far, about just a little bit, uh, a week away, over a week away, no uh, major injuries right now, which obviously that's uh, crucial. 
as you're getting ready for the Super Bowl. So Chiefs have all hands on deck as they are getting ready for the 49ers in Miami. Uh, as you guys mentioned, no game this week. Chiefs are not going to be participating in any Pro Bowl. Uh, in any event, I appreciate everyone downloading and listening to this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Farzine21. Zach is at Zsenga. DJ is at ChiefsFanShy. And you guys can follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzine.Vesugian. Give it a like and follow me on Facebook. 913-808-2119. I appreciate all the text messages. Text us again. Uh, feel free to text, you know, as soon as you hear this episode. I know generally we ask you guys to wait until after games are over, but obviously we're not on any uh, time stretch right now, uh, given we already know when the next Chiefs game is going to be. Super Bowl 54 feels weird to say, but still uh, very, very exciting for Kansas City Chiefs fans. Subscribe to the podcast, share the links. Appreciate all of you guys who have been interacting with me on social media. Of course, the Facebook page has grown quite a bit, so I appreciate all of you guys who have been a part of that. Uh, all the discussion. Uh, thank you guys for doing so and listening to the podcast as well. Subscribe, share the links. Until then, we will talk to you guys same time next week. We'll, of course, break down Super Bowl 54. What can we expect offensively, defensively, and on special teams? And what will be the keys for the Chiefs to be crowned Super Bowl 54 champions. All of that and much more next week. I'm Farzi Vasugian. Enjoy your Chiefs free weekend. Enjoy it. No stress this weekend. We'll talk about all of that next week. Enjoy the off week.